the Super Bowl of healthcare. This is Industry Focus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Industry Focus Healthcare Edition. I'm your host, Christine Hargis. I am joined by Motley Fool healthcare contributor Todd Campbell on the line via Skype. Todd, welcome back. Oh, it's happy to be here. Looking forward to today's conversation. Yeah, me too. So last week, really exciting time in healthcare, as alluded to. It's basically the Super Bowl of healthcare was last week. It's a four-day-long conference known as the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference. This was the 34th annual one. Yeah. Yeah, granddaddy of them all, too. You know, 400 companies show up and, and basically update investors in the universe on how they're hoping to change the world for the better in terms of healthcare. Yeah, so it's a really important event for the industry. It definitely sets the tone for the rest of the year since it always occurs in early January. And we get a lot of good news stories out of it. So, uh, what stood out to you, Todd? Well, this was an interesting year because, you know, unless you're, you, you haven't turned on the television set or, or checked the, uh, your, your Yahoo Finance feed or something like that, you probably haven't, you know, the market has been tumbling. And you know, usually when you've got J.P. Morgan going on, um, a lot of healthcare stocks will, you know, they'll pop because of uh, things that the management is saying. Um, obviously, with the market in a uh, sell-off mode, um, that didn't really happen uh, this time around. So a lot of the the headlines, if you will, have been buried um, for these companies. So you know, a few though that did stand out that maybe when all the dust settles, people will start to go back and and look at it and say, hmm, this is intriguing to me. Um, you know, of those, I think one of the most intriguing was AbbVie. Um, you know, AbbVie is, as you know, one of the biggest biopharma companies out there. Uh, it's, a, got a, it's a company that does $24 billion a year in annualized sales. Um, but people have been nervous about the stock, and just for good reason. Yeah, the reason that you're alluding to, I, I could probably say with certainty, is their humongous reliance on Humira. Yeah? Yeah, humongous. Cool. I mean, they, Making us both get, nervous. <laughs> yeah, they get 60% plus of their sales from one drug, and that's the immunology drug uh, Humira, which is used to treat conditions, say, like rheumatoid arthritis and psoriasis. This is a, a big drug. It operates in a huge market, $47 billion market, and this drug brings in $14 billion a year for AbbVie. Yeah, it's the best-selling drug on the planet. Yeah. And what's scary about that, normally that's a good thing, right? But what's scary about that- <laughs> People are that, probably like, why are they worried about this? Yeah. What's scary about that, you know, is that is the, their composition of matter patent- That's that's, ex- the, that's the important one. That's the important one. It expires at the end of this year. And as a result, as we know from past history, when patents expire, generic drugs can come on the market. And when they do- they can gobble up a lot of market share and a lot of sales. So the only reason that there is a little bit of a question mark on this one is because Humira is a biologic drug, so it's not particularly easy to get a generic version of that. Um, you've heard us talk about biosimilars before on the show. That's essentially that. That's what the generic version would be. It would be a biosimilar. So it's not a direct replica. Uh, it's not that easy. And right. So it's These not, things are made in living organisms. You're not going to be able to duplicate it exactly. Exactly. So 
we have Amgen creating this biosimilar for Humira, and they're looking to get it approved. They, they filed in November for the FDA, but they're running up against these patent issues. Well, what's interesting here, is, and I think that this is what's, I guess, intriguing or exciting about the J.P. Morgan conference, is that when AbbVie came out and addressed their investors, they said, essentially, what, what biosimilar threat? We, we don't see that happening at any time soon. Um, although the composition of matter patent is expiring this year, AbbVie's management seems to be very confident that methods of use patents that protect Humira into the early 2020s will keep these biosimilars at bay. And if that's the case, then AbbVie's saying that their sales for Humira won't fall in the next few years. They'll actually grow. They'll actually grow. That That's insane. I have never seen a companies say that before, where it's like, oh, yeah, well, we might lose patent on this key drug and sales are going to grow. Like That's not how this works. Yeah, it, it doesn't. And, you know, granted, there's there's a lot of moving pieces to this. I'm not a patent lawyer. Um, I've, I've dug into some of the backstory here. Amgen is, has, is trying, and others, are trying to show that these patents won't hold up. They have Obviously, Amgen, Biogen, these companies, they have lots of resources, lots of people um, on their team, if you will, that are working hard to ensure that they don't violate these patents. So there's still the chance that biosimilars come to the market before 2020. Um, but at the same time, you know, Avi, I mean, you don't necessarily go out and tell investors a long term forecast unless you feel pretty confident. In the case of Avi, they think Humera sales could go to 18 billion. Uh, by 2020, and if so, that their total sales could grow to 37 billion from their 24 billion dollar pace today. Yeah, those those are pretty lofty numbers. But what stands out to me about that is that they're still pretty reliant on Humira, even then. So I mean, you you've got the projection for Humira, but if you add up projections between Humira at 18 billion and their hepatitis C drug via Curapac at 3 billion projection for 2020 and then you've got Imbruvica that they're projecting 5 billion. So you add this together, you get 26 billion of their 37 expected sales just from those three key drugs. So to me this looks like they're going to continue to have this reliance and it's like a little bit worrisome overdependence even on Humira. Yeah, they're heavily reliant on Drugs. There's no question about it. There's very few drugs generating a bulk of sales, and that's something that investors are going to have to be aware of. They can have to track this. They do think that they can diversify over time. They've got some interesting drugs in oncology um, that are coming through the pipeline and starting to make their way to through the FDA. Um, this is one to watch. But again, you know, not many companies go out there and issue long-term forecasts. You know, they're they're saying giving you a specific number that they're targeting for 2020. And the only other company in the biopharma that jumps to mind that has done that is Celgene. Mm-hmm. So it's a very small grouping if of companies that are willing to I guess stick their neck out. Um, and I think that you know that that's gonna that will resonate with investors once everything settles out here. I think investors are gonna look at that. And they're going to start to say, hmm, maybe this is an interesting stock for me to consider, especially given its tasty 5.7% dividend yield. 
Yeah, for sure. Speaking of dividend yields, let's talk a little bit about Johnson & Johnson. I found their call really interesting. Um, yeah, that was a really interesting JP Morgan presentation, too. And one of the reasons it was interesting is because J&J took the typical script of, here's my PowerPoint presentation, I'm going to put it up and I'm going to walk you through it, and kind of threw it in the garbage and said, let's do a fireside chat instead. Let's just talk about healthcare. Let's talk about what we're doing to improve healthcare. And during that conversation, uh, their CEO basically, I don't want to say tipped his hand because it's not like he said that I'm gonna, we're going to buy XYZ company, but he did say, hey, you know, we're still in the hunt and we're looking for small companies that we can tuck in as part of our, uh, our, our goal for research and development, bring in some companies that are maybe in phase two, if you will, um, and, you know, see if we can get some new drugs on the market that way. And this is the company that ended last quarter with $37 billion in cash and short-term investments. And they kick off some $11 billion a year in free cash. So, they have the money to do it. And to me, it just looks like it's a matter of time before they pull the trigger. You know, I think one of the things CEO Gorski said in the conversation was that they went back and they looked at the 10 to 20 years uh, in the past and said, you know, how, how have they gotten their drugs on the market? And, you know, 30% of their free cash flow goes towards R&D and M&A. Um, and it's split roughly, I, I think it's like 55% goes to internal uh, R&D, 45% goes to external deals, collaborations, acquisitions, and the like. doesn't seem like that's going to change anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, Gorski weighed in on that split, the 55-45, saying that's a good balance. You know, that, that's where they want to be. Yeah, and you know that that means probably that investors who are trying to figure out, okay, well, what does that mean for J&J? What, what targets might be, might be they be going after? Um, you know, in the past, two billion or less uh, doesn't seem like that they like to do much larger than that. Hey, they could surprise us, right? But it, you know, in the past, things like Cougar Biotech, which they bought to get Zytiga, multi-billion-dollar prostate cancer drug, um, recent deals, you know, they've all been in that two billion or less area. Mm -hmm. The Cougar acquisition was one billion, if I recall. Uh, one that stands out to me that was a lot bigger than that was Synths. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, uh, but in 2012, their biggest buyout up to that date, this was a 21 billion dollar acquisition, and it didn't seem like it really went very well. And so I'm wondering if this is Gorski and Johnson and Johnson acknowledging that hey, we have done bigger deals and they haven't been great, so we're yeah. going to stick with the the small deal route. Big deals are hard to, you know, you look at a big deal and you say, okay, well, you know, maybe I can capture some synergies. I mean, obviously Pfizer's trying to do that. Other companies are trying to do that. Merge larger companies together, X out a lot of the costs and, and drop more money to the bottom line. But they're also very complex. They're hard. They're a lot of moving pieces. It's not as simple as being able to say, hey, look, we found this really interesting small molecule or biologic drug. Uh, we just need some help getting it to the finish line. And I think that, yeah, I think to, to your point, they're looking at it, they're saying, you know what, small deals may be more profitable for us over time if we you know, leverage all of our knowledge and our experience for that benefit. So, along the lines of collaboration and working to get drugs to market, the most exciting thing that came out of J.P. Morgan in my book was a collaboration announced that was called Moonshine 20, Moonshot 2020. Yeah, this is probably the, I think, the biggest news in, in a normal year, this would have gotten investors' attention and made them pretty darn excited. I, you know, Patrick Soon-Shiong, he is um, probably, 
I'd call him in the top five of biotech entrepreneurs. Um, you know, he's a billionaire. He's successfully built and and sold two multi-billion-dollar companies. Um, and his latest venture, if you will, is Moonshot 2020, which involves a bunch of different companies, academic um, research organizations, government organizations, doctors, insurers, payers, you name it. He's brought them all together, and their goal is pretty crazy i mean they want to they want to take as as many drugs as they can figure out how to combine them together they want to map out the genomes of a hundred thousand people figure out what you know what kind of cancers they have and how best to attack them and basically you know spark a major revolution in cancer treatment over the course of the next you know five five plus years and the thinking behind this is that when you look at cancer immunotherapies a lot of these drugs work best in combination, but it can be pretty tricky to test combinations of your drug with some other random company's developmental stage drug. And so if you can bring them together, the hope is, through this project, they can test them in combination a lot more effectively, and then they can track it. And you have all this information about the specific genetic mutations that each of these patients have, and you're going to have them, ideally, in this big old database that you can there like plug into and see exactly what works for what set of genetic mutations and information that you have, and hopefully be able to get really individualized and effective care to market faster. Yeah, I mean, this is, it is a moonshot, right? But I mean, you know, typically speaking, um, combination therapy trials have involved, you know, some sort of a novel new drug that maybe is still in the clinic. uh, And how does that pair up with something that's already approved and on the market? Um, and you're right. This is really kind of unique and game changing in the way that they're looking at saying, OK, let's take everybody's pipelines and let's dive into them and see in those pipelines what drugs may work best with other drugs um, with the goal of of creating therapies that are less toxic to patients than they are today, because obviously chemotherapy is is a shock and awe way of attacking cancer um, and also that are more effective. And a big focus of this is going to be on immuno-oncology, you know, focusing on how do we re-engineer the natural killer cells in our immune system and the T cells in our immune system so that they're better able to find and destroy cancer. And if they're able to to do that, then we could see a really big change in, I guess, the the treatment paradigm uh, and how we, we, we battle back against cancer. Some of the companies that are involved in this are Amgen, Celgene, GlaxoSmithKline, Nantworks, and also, interestingly, both Independence Blue Cross and Bank of America, which is a self-insured company. Um, also, yeah. I'll add in yeah, there. Yeah, what's really interesting about that is that, you know, you for the, for the first time that I can remember is you actually have payers, insurers, um, Bank of America is self-insured, working together with these companies on developing um, these these next generation therapies. That's that's kind of revolutionary. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Independence Blue Cross has about 10 million people that they cover in 34 states in D.C. They said that they'll cover the patient costs related to the trials for its members, and they'll cover the genomic sequencing too. In, yeah, and what's what's also interesting too, it's jumped out at me uh, just as you were going through that list of names that are participating in, in the moonshot uh, is Celgene. Because, you know, anybody who's followed uh, Patrick over the years knows that 
you know, his last company was Abraxas, which is the maker of Abraxane, which he sold to Celgene, um, you know, just a few years ago. I think there's also some networks partnerships between Celgene and networks. Well, he is an entrepreneur. Um, so, you know, he, he's created this moonshot and, you know, he's tucking in his own uh, his own companies. They're doing some pretty interesting things, including NankQuest. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. So, as always, uh, people on the programs could have interest in the stocks that we're talking about, and The Motley Fool could have formal recommendations for or against them. So, don't buy or sell based solely on what you hear. Uh, but definitely something to keep an eye out for, Moonshot, and also J&J going forward, and will Abby hit their guidance? Um, definitely a lot of interesting stories that came out of the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference. If you're looking to read some more about what happened, The Fool has published a ton of articles on the conference and the different presentations. Um, the article, I believe, is just called J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference 2016 Roundup, something like that. Give it a search or shoot us an email, and I can send you the link. Um, whole list of articles that our contributors have written, just distilling the news, pulling out the highlights. Um, if you're looking for even more reading, maybe you're getting all snowed in. Todd, is this supposed to snow by you? Yeah, they're saying that we're going to get hit pretty hot, hard up here in New Hampshire. I, I wasn't sure if it was going to be that far up. I, th- I think I heard a foot for Boston, but... Yeah, well, we should get something, but I don't know. You know, you never know with New England weather, anything can happen. Yeah, well, they're calling for two feet in D.C. So, anyway, all of our East Coast listeners, uh, if you're going to end up being snowed in and you want even more reading, definitely shoot us an email at industryfocusatfool.com. We've compiled a list of... We went through all of our articles from 2015, and we pulled out Fool.com's absolute best from each month. It's you know, maybe six or seven articles from every single month of 2015, the best of the best. It's an awesome list, really interesting. Um, I am happy to send that to you. Just write us in. Uh, Todd, thanks so much, as always, for being here. And we'll talk to you all next week. <laughs> <laughs>